Welcome to Pocketful of Grace, a weekly podcast of Grace Lutheran Church here in State College, Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Scott Schul, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Pastor Carolyn Hetrick, as we invite you to join us and allow God to reveal new things to us. The Sundays after Epiphany continue to celebrate the revelation of God's glory to us as it was made known to the Magi and to those on Jordan's banks at Jesus' baptism, and today, using wedding imagery. Our God rejoices over God's people as we rejoice over one another. That same God comes to us to give us abundance and hope and a pocket full of grace for our journey. Pastor Hendrick, let's ground ourselves in the prayer of the day. Friends, pray with me. Lord God, source of every blessing, you showed forth your glory and led many to faith by the works of your Son, who brought gladness and salvation to his people. Transform us by the spirit of his love, that we may find our life together in him. Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. We're in another green season now, a season after Epiphany. The pyramids change color, but the themes remain the same as uh, today's introduction reminds us. Epiphanies are revealings, and uh, Jesus is doing a whole lot of revealing in this season. Well, the season of green is often seen as a season of growth. And so when you pair together the fact that we're in the season of the Sundays after Epiphany, and yet the color is green, revelation, epiphanies, Mm -hmm. and growth are intended by God to go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of that transforming language that we see in the prayer. And the biggest transformation I think we see in these texts, and that I hope we experience in our own lives, is a more robust appreciation for how present God is with us, particularly in Jesus Christ. Because it's so easy, as we see throughout history and we know from the daily newspapers, it is so easy to lose hope, to be overwhelmed by all of the things that are taking place in this swirl of activity around us, and to to think that you're isolated, powerless, unable to ever pull yourself out of this storm. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus shows up, and not only shows up, but shows up with abundance. Yeah, and that abundance shows up in different forms. It can Mm. even show up in the most unlikely of pairings of people. I was uh, watching the news the other evening, and they were talking about uh, StoryCorps. It's an organization that encourages people to tell their stories one with another, and they've had this uh, season now where they've been doing a lot of work to bridge divides. Mm. And two people who don't seem to have really anything in common, but they share some common experience that they realize is far more grounding and it opens up something new for them that they never imagined and how life-giving that is. Yeah. The episode that I saw a snippet of was that there were two people who were at a opposite sides of a political type rally. And one person was there wearing a red hat with some words on it that many people are wearing those red hats and somebody else was there and she was a young Muslim woman. And she was horrified when some people were angered with the man wearing the red hat and they had taken his hat and it really struck her and it made her so sad that she approached him to tell him how wrong she thought that was. Mm. And they got together and talked about how often she is hurt when people try to grab the hijab off her head. Mm -hmm. 
And they discovered that even though they couldn't be farther apart in so many ways, that common emotional I get it experience was what drew them together in an abundance that they never imagined. I think that happens all the time. And I think that Christ is bringing those moments into our our world and, and hoping that we'll see them. It's an important reminder that we live in a day and age when it's so easy to isolate ourselves into our own private echo chamber. We have to find ways to be in relationship with people who believe differently and think differently from us. Uh, I'm reminded here in this uh, prayer of the day, for example, that the last sentence is, transform us by the spirit of his love that we may find our life together in him. There is something inherently communal about our faith. It was always intended that way by Christ. And I think part of the message that the church must deliver in this day and age is uh, that we are not in this by ourselves. We're in this together, and we've got to find ways to build those relationships that technology and lots of other things have conspired to, uh, to make uh, so, so rare and precious in these days. Well, why don't we move into our reading from Isaiah? Because I think that that's going to speak to some of these things where people are finding themselves in a situation where the world doesn't look the way they thought it would and they don't know what to do. Yeah, our first reading is from Isaiah chapter 62, verses 1 through 5. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. So this particular part of Isaiah comes when the people who have been exiled have begun to return. And they've come back to the land they've longed to return to. And they are eager for everything to pick up just exactly where it left off. There's only one small problem. They get back there and everything has to be rebuilt. Yeah, yeah. And these words come in the midst of that. It's not to say that rebuilding will not happen, but that it is going to be a journey for that to happen. The beginning of it is interesting, isn't it? How the prophet is reminding not only the people of God's promise, but feels compelled to remind God that God had made this promise of restoration too, Mm -hmm. which I think further evidences what a mess they find themselves in. You know, we all have those times in our lives when we think, if I can just get through this situation, then it'll all be okay. And of course it never is. There are other things that arise. It's going to be the same way once... Uh, COVID is a distant memory for us, if ever. You know, things won't magically be perfect again. There'll be new challenges. But the one thing that always uh, is a constant 
is that God will be with us. In the midst of it, though, let's not lose sight of the fact that it takes work. Sure does. Uh, one of the books that's on my to-read pile is actually called The Way Out. And it is a book written by uh, a psychologist who's looking at the polarization that we find in our culture and our society all around the world today. Mm -hmm. It's not unique to the United States. It's mm -hmm. everywhere. And he was talking about this book, and at the end of it, the interviewer says to him, so is your title correct? I mean, is there really a way out or not? And he said, there most certainly is a way out, and it is entirely before us, but it will take work. Mm -hmm. And I look at this passage from Isaiah, and that sort of is what I'm hearing. God, remember what you said you're going to do for the people. The land doesn't look the way we want it to look. And we're longing for it to be, you know, not desolate, to be uh, not forsaken, instead to be my delight and for things to be abundant and fruitful and all of those things. And they will be by God's hand and with the people working in concert with God on that vision together. Yeah, that, that amount of effort required and that process, uh, collaborative process, is absolutely engaged in this, uh, in this text and I think it's further borne out by the imagery of marriage that uh, God is placing here. Uh, I view you as, as my bride, and we're going to be in this wonderful relationship. Well, look, we can all think back upon our own marriages. I, I think back, we had a, my wife and I had a wedding anniversary at the end of December, and we always look back on those days when we were these you know, fresh-faced, doe-eyed little kids, and we wonder how we ever imagined we were going to get through all of the challenges that any life provides. Uh, and somehow you do, but it is with an enormous amount of work and flexibility and growth. And if those things are part and parcel of our relationship in a marriage, certainly they are integral to our relationship as God's people as well. Just to add, however, that if you're not married, it doesn't mean that your life is not of equal significance mm -hmm. because not everybody is married. It's a metaphor. And so not everybody has that experience. And so it's important to remember that, that what we're really talking about here is the gift of relationships in all of their forms. Isaiah uses very particular language, but not everybody has that experience. But what we do all share is the desire to feel that we have loving relationships and that we are seen as someone over whom others would rejoice. Mm -hmm. And I think the last thing I'll just note before we move on from Isaiah is that uh, every once in a while we'll talk about someone whose uh, day of commemoration mm -hmm. is approaching. And on Saturday, January the 15th, uh, is Martin Luther King Jr., renewer of society, who, who died in 1968. I was five years old at the time. Mm -hmm. Actually four, because it was April when he died. But Martin Luther King Jr. did so many things and had so many wonderful examples of writing. Of all the things that he wrote, one of the ones that I've always found the most compelling is entitled From Chaos to Community, Where Do We Go From Here? Mm -hmm. And I think that really is the question that Isaiah puts forth. It's the question that's always being put forth. Are we going to put our energy and our hope and faith in God at work and build community, or are we going to you know, fall into chaos because we don't see it. The hope, of course, is from God, is that, that we'll see the hope that God offers. Indeed. Well, we should probably move on to our psalm. 
So today our psalm is Psalm 36, verses 5 to 10. Friends, we're going to do this just a little bit differently. Uh, One possibility with the psalm is that there is a particular verse of the psalm that functions as a refrain. We've done that sometimes in our 9 o'clock service in the Miller Center, where we speak or we sing the refrain and then some verses, and then we speak the refrain, and it alternates back and forth. And I thought we'd try that today because I really like the verse that was selected, which happens to be verse 8. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read that verse, and then we're going to say that verse again together, mm-hmm. and then we'll go into the psalm, and you'll hear us twice uh, stop in to say that refrain again. We feast upon the abundance of your house, O Lord. We, we feast, feast upon, upon the abundance of your house, house O Lord. Lord. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the strong mountains, your justice like the great deep. You save humankind and animals, O Lord. We, we feast, feast upon, upon the, the abundance of your house, house O, Lord. o Lord. Lord. How priceless is your love, O God. All people take refuge under the shadow of your wings. They feast upon the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the well of life, and in your light we see light. Continue your loving kindness to those who know you, and your favor to those who are true of heart. We We feast feast upon the the abundance of your house, O Lord. What stands out to you, Pastor Shul? Aside from the refrain that we just said multiple <laughs> the re- times. <laughs> the refrain is a really wonderful technique of, of reinforcing a message from the psalm. Um, you know, this, this uh, text we have here begins, as so many of the psalm texts, with uh, an establishment of who and what God is, God's character, God's identity. And from that flow so many wonderful, abundant gifts from God. There are four in particular that, that flow through this psalm. Salvation protection, provision, and life and light. And again, all of that kindness, all of that gifting, all of that love is rooted first in God's identity. God is uh, ultimately whatever God does. Hmm. I look at this psalm and I think about what happens in verses 5 and 6 as how that then shapes what follows. Your love, your faithfulness, your righteousness, and your justice these are the things that save. Mm-hmm. And then out of that, we see some examples that people take refuge, that people can feast, that people who are thirsty can have a drink, that God is the well of life. To me, I hear those words and I just hear such a deep, intimate and rich image of how God sees us, both on our best days and on the days where maybe I don't know, loving kindness may not be what some would dish out to us. <laughs> well, v- visually, the, the image of taking refuge under the shadow of, of God's wings is the one that's most resonant with me. It's an image that we see throughout Scripture. Uh, in the Psalms, for example, it shows up in Psalm 17. It is uh, hinted at in Psalm 91. And then Jesus will uh, use this image as well. There's a place uh, overlooking Jerusalem. There's a chapel built there now, and it's in the form of a teardrop. And right behind the altar is this gorgeous clear window to look out on Jerusalem because it's believed that's the place where Jesus stood and weeped over Jerusalem and lamented that, you know, I would have gathered you like a mother hen and protected you, 
but you kept rejecting me. Uh, so that, that very maternal image of God protecting us and sheltering us and, and gathering us with those wings of protection is a very comforting one for me. Yeah, I think that's the Gospel of Matthew, isn't it? Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you under my yeah. wing. Well, we'll have to look that up later. <laughs> Sorry we don't have that passage memorized, friends. Now, there's so many beautiful images there in the psalm, and I encourage you, and you're having a day where you just really need to be reminded of God's heart for you and for the world. Psalm 36 is a really good one. It's like a good shot in the arm. How about if we move on to our reading from 1 Corinthians? Yeah, today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, Let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. The thing that stands out for me is what verse 7 lifts up. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Yes. For the common good. We don't all get the same gifts. We don't all get the same timing of gifts. We all have been given gifts. But we're not given gifts so that we can say, look at the thing I can do. We're given gifts so that we can be a part of what God wants the common good to experience. Mm -hmm. And that's the challenge, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not, let me show you this wonderful thing that I can do, and I'm going to make a lot of money for myself doing it and just make you all envious of me. Um, although that would be lovely if that ever happened for me. It, it hasn't, but it's about what we're doing for the common good. And sometimes it means uh, even a little bit less of your gift, so a little bit more of somebody else's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed, God gives all of these gifts for the benefit of all. There are nine listed in this passage, but commentators stress quite, uh, quite vociferously and rightly that this is not an exclusive list of God's gifts. There are other places in Scripture where Paul has a different laundry list, but these nine are pretty special ones, and, and Pastor, as you said, they are given to us for the benefit of our community. And I think as you look at 1 Corinthians as an overall letter from Paul, it's important to sort of bind together uh, chapter 12, where we're at this week, and chapter 13, the great love chapter, and then chapter 14, which speaks some more about gifts. Chapter 13 is right in the middle of it, which reminds us that all of these gifts are 
from love. They are activated by love. They are to be used uh, to express love. Love is at the center of all of this, not personal aggrandizement or, or personal gain. Love gives gifts for the benefit of the community. And I think that happens, not perfectly in a church, but if it's going to happen someplace, I think we're most likely to see it in a church. Well, you know, just the backstory, and I think I've talked about this on another occasion when we've talked about Corinthians, but the church in Corinth, when you come into Corinth, there is a stone that says Concordia, which is a word that's talking about unity. Mm. And it's so ironic because you couldn't have asked for a more discordant group of people. Yeah, very dysfunctional. And, you know, before we just say, well, man, those people in Corinth, I mean, I think we can all look around and say at different times and places, we see that very same spirit at work in the world, the spirit of discord. And so this letter is being written very particularly to people who are finding their world to feel very competitive and very divisive, and that they can't seem to latch on to what is the thing that's going to unite them Mm -hmm. and what is the purpose to which they are all given the different gifts that they are given why are you given these gifts and what's this really all about and i think that's just as true for all of us in our time today both within the church Mm -hmm. and without it because although i do think that churches can be a wonderful manifestation i don't think that they have an exclusive claim on using gifts for the greater good. I think there's so many organizations that are surrounding us that are trying to do those things right now, uh, faith-based and otherwise. But at the end of the day, to focus energies upon what we can do together as opposed to being divided is really not just something that's good for community. It's, it's also a hallmark of trying to live a life of faith. It's, it's remarkable, isn't it, how God works both individually and collectively on us. These gifts are given to individuals for expression and benefit of of the group. I often think of uh, Holy Communion as one of those moments that uh, is very particular, very individual. You come forward and Christ is placed in your hand in a very individual uh, basis. And yet so much of our faith life is about the communal as well. Uh, God comes to us individually. There's no doubt about that. You can, as many of our evangelical friends will say, have this, this very personal relationship with Jesus. That's that's absolutely true. And, and yet it's always ultimately driving us to love our neighbor just as much as we love our God. You know, you mentioned communion and maybe it's because I grew up in a tradition where communion was brought to you in your pew and it was it did feel very individual. Uh, one of the things that I see in in our sharing of the Eucharist is how much it feels like all our family is gathering at the table and that mm-hmm. it's not, it, it, there, is a, there is a moment of individuality there, but, but for as long as I can remember, I've always thought about communion as everyone coming forward and doing something that we're sharing at that table and we're here at this table together and you look for the faces that are coming forward and you look for the faces that you don't see and makes you pause and maybe want to say a prayer for them and you think about the communion of the saints and all those people who have gathered at the table who maybe aren't living here on earth now, but we are somehow in communion with them, and it's a mystery. Um, The older I get, the more I see this as being about that giant tapestry that God's weaving, and that to me is just, it's beautiful. It's the foretaste of the feast to come. It really is beautiful, and and just to take the metaphor one step further, 
when you look at the back of a tapestry, it looks like, as we said in Maine all the time, it looks like the cat's breakfast. Mm. It's a mess. And our lives and our church congregations are, and our communities are full of imperfection. And yet somehow God does weave that together in a way that uh, is beautiful. Well, we're going to move into the gospel. And as we move into the gospel, Pastor Shaw, I know you're preaching this Sunday. But one of the things that I noticed about this gospel uh, after we were just listening to 1 Corinthians is that although the miracle is by Jesus' hands, pay attention to how many different people have a role Mm -hmm. in what happens. Whether it's in exhortation or it's in the hard labor or it's in whatever it may be. I'd just invite you to sort of hear this as being not just Jesus' miracle, but Jesus' miracle within a community where people are doing something together. This is the second chapter of the Gospel of John. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Usually when uh, we're preparing the bulletin, the preacher selects a verse from the preaching text to put on the cover I don't know if you realize that's usually a clue where the sermon's going to go. And I picked <laughs> Or one if out. you realize that there's a verse on the cover. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah. I've been tempted to put something from a, from a book up there to see if anybody notices it's not the Bible. Hmm. But I, I handed the, the, the verse to uh, Sherry, our office manager, yesterday. And she, her eyes got real big and she looked at me because it says, um, the mother of Jesus said they have no wine. Yep. <laughs> well, we are in State College. Well, yeah, that's a cause for alarm. And, and uh, the, the point of that really is that there's, there's something missing. There's an emptiness. This is such a rich text. We could, we could spend hours just dissecting this. But if you think of wine as an Old Testament symbol of abundance and joy and all of these good things that we associate with with God in these readings, such as the one from from Isaiah. Here, Mary is pointing out that something is missing, and indeed it is, into this, in this world in which Jesus has come. And, and there are so many parallels between this first of the signs in John's Gospel and the ultimate sign of Jesus when he is resurrected. The parallels are very striking. Both happen on the third day. There's an emptiness, a, a miracle, and suddenly things are, are back the way they should be. Certainly the wedding, which is supposed to go seven days, can now continue onward because the wine has been replenished. 
and that's uh, feeding into this notion of the importance of relationship and community. Um, so there's just so much going on here, and I think it's an opportunity maybe this Sunday, I haven't written my sermon yet, of course, but it's an opportunity to think about the ways that Jesus has filled that emptiness on both a cosmic level and maybe perhaps on an individual level as well. Uh, John, John speaks of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus and the mission of Jesus through the lens of seven different signs. And this is the first of those seven, all of which ultimately point to uh, a Christ who comes to us and loves us and saves us with lavish abundance. So that you might come to believe. That's the whole, that's the whole thing that, that John lifts up, right? And, and in believing, love God and love your neighbor. That's right. All right. Well, we'll look forward to hearing where your sermon goes. I see four different colors of marker on that paper, <laughs> which tells me that you have at least four different possible ideas. Oh, my. <laughs> anyway, how about a prayer? Yeah, the prayer today comes to us from somebody I quoted in my last, uh, last time I preached, uh, John Henry Newman, who I really admire as a, as a deep thinker. And I was playing with this idea of... Um, uh, the empty uh, jars in this text and how God fills us with with things in our emptiness. So let's pray this prayer, which is cap captioned as indwelling light. Stay with us, Lord, and then we shall begin to shine as you shine. So to shine is to be a light to others. The light, O oh Jesus, will be all from you. None of it will be ours. It will be you who shines through us upon others. O oh, let us thus praise you in the way you love best, by shining on all around us. Make us preach you without preaching, not by words, but by example, and by the catching force the sympathetic influence of what we do by our visible resemblance to your saints. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, stay tuned for Sunday. Join us one of a few different ways. In person in our sanctuary at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. In person in our Miller Center at 9 a.m. You can listen to our 10.30 service on the radio on WRSC on 1390 AM or 93.3 FM or via your smart device. Or see and hear our 10.30 service via our live stream video, which you can access by going to our website, glcpa.org. The very first thing you'll see says homepage alert. Click on the blue words that say click here and it will take you to our live and prior worship services. You can join us at 10.30 or watch it later. Last week's weather brought a record number of you to the live stream, so we give thanks to God that we have this option and for the folks that run it so that we can make it possible. One final note as we continue to experience very high volume of cases of COVID in our community. We ask that everyone entering our building for any reason, please wear a mask covering your nose and mouth at all times. Friends, be safe. And however we gather, it is a joy to be together with you in person or in spirit as we follow Jesus. Take care.